Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Hello and welcome to another Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I was looking at our video and podcast list and I realized we hadn't talked about the Epic Game Store in almost a month. So obviously we have to put another video and podcast together for that. I was looking at the news uh, over the weekend and I saw a few more controversies develop with respect to the Epic Game Store. And again, I think it's worthwhile to dive into what those are, why they're happening, kind of the business motivations of the various players, because the announcement and continued quick evolution of the Epic Games Store, particularly in respect of uh, what's happening with Valve and Steam at the same time, is one of the most interesting things happening in the business of video games uh, in this first and second quarter of 2019. Uh, So let's take a look at the article that I want to talk about to begin with, which is uh, based on comments uh, from Epic on what they were going to do with respect to their exclusives that they made at the Game Developers Conference about two weeks ago. Uh, you see here we're looking at an article from PC Gamer. It says, Epic on pulling Metro Exodus from Steam. We don't want to do that ever again. Uh, and it's dated 18 days ago, so it's a couple weeks old, but... Believe me when I say this is going to come up again uh, very, very quickly, and we've got a few things that happened with respect to the Epic Game Store in the last couple days that really start illuminating how quickly Epic is moving on some of these questions, how quickly they're making these decisions, how willing they are to go out in public with statements like this one that we're about to discuss, and then how also willing they are to essentially reverse that without a similar public comment, uh, and in a way that, while agile and probably good uh, business-making decisions for them are not terribly good from a communications perspective, are not very good at engendering goodwill towards the Epic Game Store or towards Epic as a company. And it's certainly something I think they could improve, and I I suspect they will improve. Uh, But part of this, part of what I want to communicate on this video and podcast is that when you have these kinds of quick decisions, when you have this agility, this responsiveness to the marketplace, one of the side effects of that is changing course very quickly and very rapidly and not with the usual kind of uh, tone control that you otherwise see in press releases or press conferences or really controlling the communication uh, that you might associate with Nintendo and their directs or Microsoft uh, who has themselves had communications problems over this generation of their console but mostly centered around seven years ago or so. Uh, and and PlayStation and Sony, who uh, is also very careful about what is communicated, what gets out of uh, their uh, non-disclosure agreements, etc. And you're not seeing that with Epic. You're seeing a company that's willing to go public and willing to do things very, very quickly. And we're going to take a look at what they did here. We're going to look at the dates of the actual store, just as a reminder of how the Epic Game Store wasn't a thing in our lives as of mid-November of last year, uh, and how... 
folks are reacting to that, especially Valve and Steam, in respect of especially this exclusives question, which is one of those things that is going to continue to be a story uh, as we go forward. And it might wind up being an even bigger story if some of the games that are rumored to be signing Epic exclusives, uh, Red Dead Redemption, wind up coming to fruition. If you get those really monstrous games that are really the backbone of Steam's revenue, uh, you're going to see this become uh, a shooting war uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and it continues to simmer in that respect. Clearly, Valve and Steam is taking stock of what's happening. Uh, but this is just part of that story. Certainly, exclusives are the shot across the bow, and we'll continue to see how it goes. But let's see what they said about it two weeks ago. When Epic announced that Metro Exodus would be a year-long Epic Store exclusive, it was close to release and had already been taking pre-orders on Steam. At the time, I, the author, said it was an act of war. A panel of Epic Store leaders were asked during an Epic Store Q&A at GDC 2019 today if, given how much rage the move caused, they'd ever do something like that again. Steve Allison, head of the Epic Game Store, responded immediately, We don't want to do that ever again. We had been talking to those guys for a number of months, he said, and they made some decisions on their end. This is not a throw-under-the-bus thing. It's just the timing of where they came together and what was important to their business. We decided to do it together. We both knew there was the potential for the thing that happened in terms of communication. They got a lot of folks mad at them. They got a lot of folks claiming that this was unfair and unethical, including Valve and Steam, who actually put a statement up that said uh, this was unfair to its users, etc., etc. Uh, continuing with the quote, I think it felt way worse and was bigger than we thought, and in real time, we spent time talking. We will never do this again in this way. And I think we're not in a situation now where that could ever happen, because now we're live, and we have a view out in time, and we can work with everybody. We have a case study where it says maybe we should make our decisions earlier, and we will. So the thrust of Epic's comments at GDC when asked about exclusives, which continues to be an area of friction. One of the things I said when the Epic Games Store was initially launched was that the place where they could really gain goodwill, that they could really gain audience base and eyeballs and folks coming to their store and really feeling good about their service was with respect to that split, that difference between taking 70% uh, of the, the, the money that's going to developers uh, and taking 30% off the top and bringing it to the Epic Games Store. Instead, they're taking 12%. So there's a lot of money in between there, 18% difference, that could be offered as, as some kind of benefit to the customer base. They should be incentivizing developers to cut their prices on an almost uniform basis to essentially become a, a kind of Walmart approach to pricing that would encourage people to remember that the Epic Games Store exists. That, I think, is ultimately going to come as part and parcel to what's happening here. But right now, for the last three or four months, what Epic has decided to do as a strategy is to buy exclusives. Uh, they've got all this Fortnite money. That's really one of the genesis points for the Epic Games Store in its entirety is that they have this pile of money. They want to invest it in something, and they decided to invest it in themselves. They have this pile of money, and they are using it to buy exclusives away from Steam. You can only play certain games like Metro Exodus, uh, like uh, Borderlands 3, which is what this discussion is going to ultimately be about in this video and podcast. And they are making it so that you can only play them on the Epic Game Store, with some exceptions for developers that can sell things through their own store. But 
by doing that, by buying those exclusives, they have engendered this kind of antipathy from these folks that only like Steam. And frankly, everybody that's played on PC for the last 10 years has only really ever played on Steam. You had certain other competitors, particularly good old games, that were really focused on selling people on things like uh, no uh, anti-piracy protections, DRM, uh, and Steam was essentially the de facto marketplace for buying those games outside of those kinds of specialized alternatives. And now that the Epic Game Store is out there and saying, you have this Steam account, you want everything in this single basket, the single envelope, but we are going to make you buy Metro Exodus over here. We're going to make you buy Borderlands 3 over here if you want to play it at all. Has engendered all this negativity. In particular, with respect to Metro Exodus, this happened uh, after Metro Exodus was already selling pre-sales on Steam. Now, as I understand it from that story, Epic was able to make Steam keys available for the folks that had already pre-ordered through Steam for Metro Exodus. But outside of that, nobody else could buy it through Steam, and there was all this anger. The previous two games in the Metro series were currently available. I think they still are currently available on Steam. And one of the things that people did, and there's a few comments that I had about this in some prior videos in respect of Metro Exodus deciding to go to the Epic Game Store, these people decided to review bomb the reviews of the games Metro 1 and Metro 2, Last Light and I think 2033. And what wound up happening there is that they put in all these reviews that essentially said that Metro and, and its publisher uh, were big meanies because they were taking the game off of Steam and they left all these negative reviews that didn't have anything to do with the Metro series itself, which is a fairly common tactic, a fairly standard tactic uh, in respect of uh, review sites in general, whether that's Amazon or Steam or elsewhere. Uh, but it is problematic in terms of delivering an actual signal to the noise of all this extra stuff when you're trying to find out whether a game is actually good or a product is actually good. Uh, and so I have always taken the opinion that review bombing is really not a terribly useful tactic. Uh, and one of the things it winds up doing is uh, creating this antagonistic relationship between the fans of a product and the producers of that product. And it makes uh, the producers of that product very reticent of putting their games on a marketplace at all. I really do think when you talk about review bombing, it's not a terribly useful tactic because it winds up creating all this negativity and, and people can really just disregard the reviews. It's one of the reasons personally that I think that the Epic Game Store doesn't currently support uh, reviews on the games is because Steam was having all this trouble. You could see the noise in kind of the polling questions for the last couple years, the discussions that developers were having around the Steam platform and whether Valve had earned its 30%, etc., etc., about the fact that there was no way to control reviews that were just being made about their business model or about their politics or about something else that was at bare minimum ancillary to the actual product of the game being released. So Epic came out and said, hey, we're going to have a store, but you're going to be able to better control your communications with your audience. You're not going to essentially be supporting a wall that somebody can just put graffiti on that is negative towards the product that you've spent years making. And we're going to help control that experience for you, which when faced with the alternative of a Steam that is basically saying, well, people deserve the right to have their reviews and we're not going to do such a great job of controlling them one can easily see how that could be an attractive alternative to move over to the new service, to the Epic Game Store. And now Epic Game Store has come out and said that they are going to have certain reviews, that they are going to support some forum stuff, some stuff that is equivalent to the Steam uh, products and services, but in the future after they figure out some of these problems, which frankly, I don't know that they ever will in a satisfactory way. But 
Epic Game Store has said they're going to bring some of that online in the future. Uh, and as we talk about this statement that they say they're never going to do this Metro thing again, they're never going to seize an exclusive of a pre-ordered game on Steam, uh, I think it's worthwhile to note how specific and direct this statement is in public uh, at GDC that is reported on in a place like PC Gamer. And one of the things as we go on and talk about this, I want to really kind of add to the flavor of the discussion is just remembering how how young the service is. So I've pulled up an article from Game Daily Biz that says Epic's move into digital game distribution is a shot heard around the gaming world. Uh, and the one sentence that I wanted to just highlight here, it says earlier this week, Epic announced plans to directly compete with Steam by opening its own digital storefront earlier this week. And the date on this is December 5th, 2018. So again, when we're framing this, it seems like Epic Game Store has been around us forever now because they're in the news every single week. But they really only announced the existence of their store in early of December uh, last year, and it's only now the first week of April uh, in the year following. So we're really looking at essentially a quarter of activity, and then buying up all these exclusives, buying up all these games has really put them in the crosshairs of, one, getting the attention that they wanted. And certainly there's a question to be had regarding marketing about whether all publicity is good publicity, uh, because regardless of how you feel about them, you know the, their existence. I've done, I think, probably four or five videos on them alone, whether that's in respect of their uh, application, looking at your Steam folder to try to figure out who your friends are and maybe how, who your playtimes are and their promises and their privacy policy, that they probably won't use that for ill. Uh, and how they've been treating Metro Exodus, how they've been treating exclusives, how they've been treating developers with the split, talking about their overall business model. I have discussed Epic Games Store pretty extensively on virtual legality, and we ourselves have only been around about the same time frame as the Epic Games Store. The first, the first virtual legality was in late November of 2018. So we are of a similar vintage, uh, but obviously Epic Games Store has dominated the conversation in the video game industry in such a short time. And like I said at the top of this video and podcast, one of the things that really comes out of some company moving very quickly through their decision-making process uh, is a problem in conflicting messages. So let's take a look at a Twitter thread in which Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, participated regarding some folks that were saying, hey, you promised you weren't ever going to do this exclusive thing again uh, when you talked about Metro a couple weeks ago, but... We've got concerns that this game Observation was having pre-orders on Steam, and it appears that you have taken it as an exclusive, so what's the deal? So I'm going to read from this Twitter thread. Uh, Burning Phoenix is the Twitter name, and he says, Tim Sweeney, care to explain what's going on with Observation after what was said here? And they pull up a different article that talks about the comments at GDC that we just went over. It says, Observation, the game, was already set for Steam. Tim Sweeney comments, We've had a lot of discussions about this since GDC. Epic is open to continuing to sign funding exclusivity deals with willing developers and publishers regardless of their previous plans or announcements around Steam. Now, you're going to see him discuss this a little bit further in just a second, but it's important to note that there is no question that that is a rollback of the statements that were made at GDC, not two years ago, but two weeks ago. And so there was this kind of cross-communication. There was this kind of problem with going out there. As one would expect, when you've decided that your model is going to be to take exclusives, to put eyeballs on your store through those exclusives, to use those bags of money to get people to have to come to your store in order to play the games they want to play. When you've decided to do that, 
it doesn't make a ton of sense strategically to foreclose yourself of a certain set of games uh, that may or may not be under pre-order at a competitor. From Epic's perspective, the competitor doesn't matter. We don't care what Steam is doing. We don't care what Valve is doing. If a developer comes to us or if we go to a developer and say, you'd be a good fit on our store, if you're a good fit on our store, you're a good fit on our store. And that's what they want to communicate. And certainly the GDC comments were interesting. They actually had that interest level because it was an unusual step to take. Because Epic was being so aggressive, it was unexpected for them to back off. And so them backing off that backing off is not such a surprise, except of how bad it looks from a communicative perspective. Going forward with this Twitter thread, Burning Phoenix says, so basically what you said at GDC was a lie? Tim Sweeney, at GDC, Steve Allison said, we don't want to do that ever again when asked about the Metro Exodus controversy. See this article. And we, we already all know that. That's the article that the Burning Phoenix person uh, included as well. But he goes on to say, this prompted further discussions at Epic, leading to the realization that these calls must be up to developers and publishers, and Epic wouldn't tell them no on account of existing statements made about Steam. Now, this is an interesting statement, right? This is essentially trying to say, hey, it's not up to us. Uh, and to some extent, I'm sympathetic to that insofar as, hey, if a developer with a great product wants to come to me uh, and wants to operate on the same deal as I've given to other developers and we think everybody makes money on this, that makes a lot of sense from a purely business perspective in the near term in this specific deal. However, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to suggest that Steam uh, and, and Epic have nothing to do with this. Obviously, the Steam marketing, the Steam business model is why certain developers are in, incentivized to look and, and see Epic handing out bags of money. But the fact remains that Epic is handing out bags of money. And if you own the store that has the bags of money and someone comes in and says, hey, can I have a bag of money? It's not within your rights to completely disclaim the fact that you made the bags of money available. Uh, you are out there saying, we are signing exclusives. We're happy to take your calls. Please do come to us. Everybody's making money over here. Consider calling Epic. And for you to say, hey, it's up to developers and publishers, that's not wrong necessarily. Obviously, it takes two to tango when you're signing a contract, but it takes two. And so Epic is trying to play a little fast and loose with this kind of commentary. It certainly wouldn't be happening if it weren't for Epic signing exclusives. And so it is a somewhat problematic statement. Uh, this goes on to say exactly what I just said right now. It's up to you, not the developers. Most developers won't tell you no when you offer them millions of dollars to screw over their Steam fan base, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Tim says, yes, we're paying developers money in exchange for exclusives and free game releases. We've been saying this all along, which again, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that strategy. It's not the strategy I would have preferred, but it certainly is one that should have the effect of getting people in the door uh, for their uh, for their game store. But I do think it's useful to note when they do make these kinds of statements that it is a little bit disingenuous because these things don't happen if they aren't out there offering the money. Um, and we see some of this covered in an article, again, from Game Daily Biz that I was reading through over the weekend that says, Epic's Tim Sweeney exclusivity deals are up to developers and publishers. The rise of the Epic Game Store and its subsequent exclusivity deals with titles like Metro Exodus has raised questions about which party is responsible and whether the practice is anti-consumer, which is an entirely different ball of wax that we can discuss perhaps on another video or podcast. But going into this article, it says it's hard to believe that the Epic Game Store digital storefront has only been live for a handful of months 
given the disruption and debate its presence has garnered in the PC gaming space. Then they talk a little bit about the statements that we just discussed in this video, and it says the problem with the statement is that it contradicts Steve Allison at the GDC last month, and they go on to talk about what's the reason for the discrepancy. It says, according to Sweeney, after Allison's GDC panel, the team continued to discuss the issue internally, and the resulting decision was to leave these calls up to the developers. This isn't the first time two of Epic's higher-ups have contradicted each other with regards to the store. In February, Sweeney said that developers will be able to opt into many sub-features, including user reviews, in order to avoid the negative fan practice known as review bombing. Epic store designer Sergey Galionkin, meanwhile, claimed that opt-in reviews aren't the solution to review bombing. So who's in the right here? Is Epic correct that it's up to publishers to secure and maintain their own exclusivity deals? Should the Fortnite publisher take existing contracts into consideration before signing exclusives? Does the benefit to developers an 88.12 share as opposed to Steam 70.30 outweigh any complications from store jumping? Or are gamers right that this is an anti-consumer practice? The discussion is going to continue to swirl regardless. Valve's strategy, meanwhile, is to pretend the Epic Game Store doesn't exist while reorienting their own UX without taking care of developers. Now that's Game Daily Biz talking, in particular author Sarah LaBeouf, but I have to say, for the most part, I disagree with the final conclusion, which is that Valve isn't doing anything. I think what you're seeing is an old guard uh, entity in the space reacting slowly, but with consideration to some of the things that they are seeing happen with respect to the existence, the sudden existence, really, of major competitors and major threats to their market share and their business model. I don't think Valve is sitting on its hands necessarily, although I certainly think they could do better in terms of moving with alacrity and speediness, but they are taking certain steps. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about right now, which is with respect to the steps that they are taking. Because what happened after this, uh, after all of these comments were made, is that uh, it came out that Borderlands 3, which was only announced at PAX East, is going to be a six-month, not a year-long, exclusive to the Epic Game Store. And like we saw with Metro Exodus, they are getting review-bombed on Steam for the other games in their product line, Borderlands 1, Borderlands 2, and I think the third one is called the pre-sequel. And they are getting these review bombs because people are making it known that they don't like the business model of the company. And again, just like Metro Exodus, this is not something that's very specific to the games themselves, and I think it is not terribly useful for the folks that want to communicate these issues, but they are being communicated. They are causing these problems on uh, the store. And one of the things that's happened here is that Valve has reacted to that. Valve has taken steps to try to prevent review bombing because they have heard developers complaining about it. They have seen that one of the areas of differentiation that Epic is trying to establish in their business model is to not have developers have to face these graffitied walls that they are supporting for their games. And so one of the things that was announced uh, earlier uh, this month, or, or more precisely about three weeks ago, was that Valve would be using certain algorithms and certain software to try to prevent off-topic review bombing, things that didn't relate specifically to the game. So we're looking now at an article from Polygon, and it says Valve targeting off-topic review bombs in Steam user reviews. And this is from March 15th. And this says Valve says it's refining its approach to how customer reviews are handled on Steam, announcing today that it plans to identify and, rem and remove off-topic review bombs that might affect user review scores. Review bombing has been a long-standing problem for digital storefronts with user reviews, and Valve has tried to combat their impact on Steam with other methods, 
including reviews of user reviews and graphs that display temporary distortions in user feedback. But to date, Valve has still factored those reviews into the game's overall user score. And while some review bombing situations may be tied to legitimate issues with games, many are unrelated or tangentially related to the product itself. As we talked about, a lot of what's happening right now is related to this incoming war between Epic Games Store and Steam and Valve, and the reactions that people are having to having exclusives essentially taken from the game storefront that they want to use and brought over to this other storefront that, for whatever reason, they don't want to use. And so Valve has decided that they are going to use an algorithm, use a piece of software to get rid of off-topic review bombs. Uh, how do they define it? They say, we define an off-topic review bomb as one where the focus of those reviews is on a topic that we consider unrelated to the likelihood that future purchasers will be happy if they buy the game, and hence not something that should be added to the review score. They talk about there obviously being gray areas here. It's one of the things we've discussed at length with respect to Valve and Steam, in particular with their use of Steam keys and their allowance of having Steam keys available on third-party marketing sites. But a lot of the way that Valve and Steam operate, which is pretty distinct from the way a lot of other companies operate, is through a set of guidelines. Uh, not so much rules, not so much contract obligations, not so much laws, but essentially kind of look and feel type tests that Valve is going to try to help things out. They're going to try to do X. They're going to try to do Y. And whether or not that is exactly what they said in their rules or regulations, they essentially claim an umbrella right to do X or to not do X. And that's really how Valve operates. So when we talk about things like Steam keys being out there in the wild, Valve essentially reserves the right to take them away if they feel like you're not using them in the way that they would prefer. Similarly, when we're talking about off-topic review bombs, they have reserved this kind of umbrella notion of, we mean it's not related to the game, uh, and we'll get to define that, and we'll decide whether or not we actually employ this methodology to help get rid of some of these reviews if they're not related to the game. One of the early questions that I wound up having about this was certainly the most common topic for review bombs right now is in respect of this exclusivity fight. And certainly Valve probably doesn't mind at a kind of institutional basis for people to be making known their displeasure with how Epic Game Store is operating, what they're doing. They, in fact, had that announcement in their own statement with respect to Metro Exodus being pulled from the Steam Store about how unfair it was to their player base. So I had, when this was announced, the, the question, are they actually going to impose this if there is a fight about an exclusivity going to Epic Game Store? Because it would seem to me that it's not in their best interest. Uh, but to their credit, they did it for the first time over the weekend, and the first time was in respect to reviews that were made against Borderlands 2. Again, an article from Polygon, it says, Review Bombed Borderlands 2 is the first to have user scores thrown out by Steam. User scores left since April 3rd won't count towards 2012 games score. Borderlands 2 is the first game to get Steam's off-topic review activity flag in its user reviews under new measures that went into effect last month to combat so-called review bombing of games by gamers who are unhappy with their publishers or developers over something else, something unrelated to the game. On Borderlands 2's customer reviews page, the 2012 game is listed as overwhelmingly positive in the opinion of its 92,497 user reviews, and 1,107 recent reviews are listed as very positive. Accompanying that is the note that the April 3rd to April 6th time range of reviews contain an abnormal set of reviews that we believe are largely unrelated to the likelihood that you would enjoy the product. These reviews are excluded from Borderland 2's aggregated reputation score. 
The article goes on to describe what we've talked about in this video. Gamers are crapping on a nine-year-old game on Steam because Gearbox Software and 2K Games announced on April 3rd that the Windows PC version of Borderlands 3 will be exclusive to the upstart Epic Game Store for six months after launch. Again, this is the main competitor to Valve, main competitor to Steam, and to their credit, to their absolute credit, they actually imposed the review bombing uh, restriction on something that, frankly, was helping them, was helping to make their case that, that users were angry, was helping to make it known uh, why users were angry, uh, and essentially fight some of the public relations battle against Epic and the Epic Game Store. But again, we see these kinds of weighing considerations. If you followed virtual legality at all, you know the operation of a business and compliance with the law on some of these videos is in certain respects, weighing of different considerations, risks and rewards, benefits and costs. And, and one of the things that's happening here is Epic Game Store is out there with a market product that they think responds to developers' wants and needs a little bit better than Steam and Valve does by essentially not allowing user reviews on the game itself. And Steam knows that one of the knocks against user reviews is this kind of vandalization of the page that these publishers and these developers are trying to sell their game on. So they're weighing, okay, we said that we were going to have this protection. Developers need this additional protection. We're fighting a little bit against the, the stream of folks that are leaving for Epic Game Store to get more money from Epic Game Store, at least in the split. Uh, but we can do certain things. We can do certain small things without changing our bottom line business model numbers. And one of the things that we can do is we can fight against these review bombs. Uh, and so by doing it this way, by saying, hey, we're even going to protect uh, essentially an epic exclusive defector, uh, they are uh, signaling out to the marketplace, to the developers and publishers that are currently on Steam that would consider being on Steam in the near future and in the long term, that they are willing to try to use these tools even when it's not to their benefit, which they must have adjudged on their own side, and I think rightfully so, is more beneficial to them than just allowing these reviews to be out there against uh, Gearbox, against Borderlands, uh, just because they left for the Epic Game Store. That if they are going to convince developers that they have some amount of control over review bombs, some modicum of ability to prevent them from really hurting your bottom line developer or publisher, then they should use it in an instance like this where it at least uh, on the public face hurts them uh, to get rid of these reviews, to, to not allow people to voice their displeasure at what Epic Game Store is doing against Valve. Now, the more cynical side of me could also say, hey, just by doing it this way, they get all these articles. We obviously have two Polygon articles talking about this issue at all. Uh, and again, if you don't believe all publicity is good publicity, there are a lot of articles now talking about Epic pulling games from Steam, making Steam users unhappy, Steam having to kill those reviews because people are so unhappy that extraordinary measures needed to be taken. And maybe Steam and Valve get the same kind of benefit of having this spotlight put on what Epic's doing as they would have if they let the reviews survive. So again, cost-benefit, weighing things, that really is the nature of running a business. And I can't tell you Valve's doing everything right. I don't think that they are. But every step they take is weighed to try to do something that helps their business model. And I don't think this is a bad one. But it is interesting, right? We talk about what Epic's doing. We've got all these articles. We've got this long video, this long podcast that talks about everything that's happening. One of the things that Game Daily Biz comes to in that article that we just read is Valve's not doing anything to stop this. And I just don't think that's the case. I think Valve is doing this. I think the reason you are seeing review bombs addressed in this way rather than just allowing those graphs and things that happened over the last couple of years is because they are trying to address the imminent threat that Epic Game Store uh, imposes on them and their ability to retain their current developers. 
The end game for Epic is not to pay people to come over to the store, but just to be a natural landing place, a natural alternative, and with a little luck from their perspective, a superior alternative to what is currently offered on Steam and the, the that, their game store, the Valve game store. And so they don't want to be spending all this money. Obviously, Epic is doing better if people just come over naturally and they're not spending an extra million dollars or a couple million dollars to bring them over on an exclusivity basis. And so they're just trying to get to a critical mass of interest, a critical user base size. Uh, and then presumably the long-term plan is to not pay for these exclusives. And that's one of the reasons why I would be willing to bet that they were okay giving a statement like they gave at GDC, which is, hey, you know, we don't want to do exclusives forever. We don't want to steal games from the Steam store. They probably thought, one, that population of games that were available on the Steam store is a wasting asset. It's not likely to be something that they have to delve into because now that we exist, we can have those conversations much earlier and we can buy those exclusives before they're a problem on Steam. But also that the long-term business plan for this thing, this epic game store, is not to buy exclusives. That's a good way to lose money in the long term. So they don't want to buy exclusives forever. And so they probably thought at the time that that GDC comment was made that they wouldn't need to buy games from the, from the Steam store. They thought that was the best plan. But one of the things that I give credit to Epic for and that Valve is much slower on is that kind of agility, that responsiveness to the marketplace, that they are willing to go out there and make these giant decisions that change massive things in their business model, in their approach, in their communications with their fans and their non-fans. And they're willing to go through with them on a moment's notice, turn on a dime. And I think that that's very useful to getting to kind of maximal output in the industry and to get to exactly where you want to be. But it's very hard on people that are following the store and or defending the store because they make statements like they made at GDC and they roll them back within two weeks. So one of the things they've got is a problem with uh, transparency and with communication because the next time you hear a statement from them on what their strategy is going to be, what their business model is going to be, whether that's at E3 or elsewhere, you're going to have to say, well, I have to wait two weeks on it or I have to wait two months on it or I no have no idea whether that's going to actually be the case, the truth of the matter as we go forward. And when you lose that transparency, when you lose the feeling of trust and honesty, that is a problem. So I think it is something that they're going to want to focus on and they're going to want to try to get better at because it's not a good look for somebody to say something at GDC in a, in a public forum and to roll that back almost immediately. So... Epic Game Store and Valve and Steam continues to be a hot button item. It is a fascinating item for anybody watching the industry from a business perspective. And I do think we are going to see this get significantly more uh, conflict oriented uh, than less in the near future. As Epic continues to buy games, continues to buy major exclusives, keep track of that 2018 list of top sellers on Steam. Because if I'm Epic, if I'm running their business acquisition game plan, I'm targeting everybody that appears on that list. Uh, and we already had a video that talked about how Ubisoft was a major factor in that list. And one of the things that Epic did immediately was buy Division 2 away from Steam. I think that that's their focal point is to try to take the significant revenue drivers from Steam. And I think that's going to continue in the near future. And certainly the rumblings, the whispers uh, uh, around Red Dead Redemption 2 and a PC release are very intriguing. And if that becomes an Epic Game Store exclusive, well, that's when you'll really see the gnashing of teeth. So I would follow that very closely. I would look at those lists. I think that's going to be the focal point for what Epic does in the next six months. Uh, and I think Valve and Steam are going to have some even more significant reactions as we go forward. 
but I don't agree with Game Daily Biz that they haven't had any reactions. I think they are moving in a kind of typical corporate way, slowly and with consideration. And frankly, they haven't had any significant competitors for 10 years. So the fact that they're moving at all is probably a little bit difficult for them internally, and they're certainly going to get better at it as they fight off these, uh, these aggressors against their market share. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, so that's virtual legality for today. Thank you so much for watching or for listening. If you like this video, please do like it. Please subscribe to the channel. Please subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast service. And please do share it around. I get great engagement from people who have not seen the channel before, who have not seen virtual legality before. A lot of folks that agree with me, a lot of folks that disagree with me, but each has been uh, pretty useful in terms of engagement on my channel. And we've had good conversations without some of the uh, some of the conversations that you see elsewhere on the internet, whether that's on uh, YouTube comments or otherwise. So please do share it around. A lot of forums you all get to that I don't get to as I'm doing law during the day. Uh, and I very much appreciate you for watching on uh, YouTube or for listening on your favorite podcast service. I will catch you on the very next Virtual Legality.